Well, I have to say that I love that song that we sung right before Scripture. And if you didn't know, Jenny wrote it. I mean, it's just full of Scripture passages there from our book, Hebrews. But it's one of my favorite songs, actually, that we've been doing recently. And uh, just a really, really beautiful, artistic collection. And I also want to highlight, we have, if you look around, we are surrounded by beautiful art, beautiful people, but beautiful art. Um, And we have the joy of having the artist here with us this morning. Shane Evans is here this morning. So if you have questions, yeah. Oh, yes. He is, and, you know, he would shake his head at this, but I think he's just a brilliant um, illustrator, a brilliant drawer, a brilliant thinker um, in terms of his illustration for children's storybooks. And... um, some, of, some more information about Shane's work is on the flip side of this divider here. So you'll find a whole slew of stuff as, some, as well as some of his books and so on. Um, and I know he would be willing and love to talk with you more about how God has gifted him to be really contributing thoughtfully um, to the artistic world and caring for our children through his creations. So, well, I think all of us have a dirty little secret. Um, a secret we're kind of ashamed to admit, quite frankly. We're all kind of lonely. All a little bit lonely. And it's killing us. No, literally, it is killing you on the inside. I recently read an article titled, Loneliness is Deadly. And in that article, they highlight the increased mortality risk of loneliness is comparable to that from smoking, if you can believe it or not. And what's even more shocking is that loneliness is about twice as dangerous as obesity to your health. Now, how do you say, you know, we raise this question, of course, how is this so dangerous? Well, recent studies have shown that social isolation, social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which builds all sorts of issues like type 2 diabetes. It raises the issues of heart disease and arthritis. And maybe what's even more alarming on top of all of that is even though our population density as a planet continues to increase, so does the percentage of people who feel absolutely alone. More people are on this planet than ever, but more people feel alone than ever. Every single one of us is touched by loneliness. Maybe this morning you're here and you're wrestling through singleness And you feel so alone. Maybe this morning you thought marriage was going to be the answer to your loneliness. And yet you find yourself in a relationship more isolated and more alone than you could have ever imagined. Maybe this morning you feel alone in your sin, in your weakness, and you feel so ashamed to even mention it that you keep everybody at arm's length and then just exacerbates your isolation and your loneliness. It's in moments like these where we feel the deep lure to put on a facade. Because because feeling accepted, even for someone we're not, is better than the fear of absolute loneliness. And so, in this facade, we find an even greater, deeper loneliness. And the shame becomes more intense because of the lies we've told, the deception we've spread in this facade... And we build up anger and bitterness and fear, which then makes us more isolated and more alone. And the downward spiral goes and goes. So what do we do? 
what do we do? What we normally don't do is go to God and think that he actually understands. What we don't normally do is think that God has the cure to our loneliness. But why not? It's partly because we just don't think Jesus understands. He doesn't know how we feel. This is what we think. I mean, he's great and all. Jesus is really cool. You know, he's great. But we think he's too ancient to really get modern day issues. I mean, this book, come on. This doesn't deal with Facebook friends, right? This doesn't deal with so many folks not liking my comments. If he's not too ancient, then we think he's too angelic to care at all. I mean, God doesn't deal with my issues. And you see, one of the worst parts of feeling lonely is feeling like no one really knows you. And when I, mean, when I say knows you, I mean can relate with your experiences and connect with you and have the shared resonance of your pain. And so we have this inner dialogue and we say this under our breath, how could God really know me? I mean, how could he really know me? He's not been where I've been. He doesn't have the parents I have. He doesn't have the job I have. He doesn't have the chemicals I have, the temptations I have, the life I have. He's so far away up in heaven. I mean, how could he possibly resonate with what I'm going through? And we wrestle deeper and deeper in our isolation and our loneliness. And although these are very honest questions, real questions that need to be tackled, I, I want you to hear this first comforting truth. You're not the first person to ask them. Okay? You're not alone, even in your questions. I mean, could you imagine how lonely it must have felt for a first century Christian? They're in the Roman Empire, ruled by Caesar, a god among gods. And any sort of guild you're a part of, whether it be the stonemasons, they have their own god. The silversmiths, I mean, a huge consumer market for the silversmiths who were artists was to create these idols to put into the temples to therefore further idol worship. Work and religion were explicitly connected. In our day, in our secular society, it's implicitly connected, but it's there. But in that society, it was very explicit. So you made daily decisions as a Christian that excluded you from your guilt at times, what you made, what you did, what practices you participated in or not. And now I want you to take another step. Imagine you're a Jewish Christian, which is the audience of the book of Hebrews. At least when you were Jewish, you had the synagogue, you had your community, and you had the shared culture of Judaism. But now as a Jew who's following Jesus, Rome doesn't want anything to do with you, and neither does Jerusalem. Now that can feel lonely. That can feel isolating. And then as we come to Hebrews, we begin to understand why the author of Hebrews is wrestling with a people who see it so easy to drift from their faith as they're asking the question, is Jesus really better? Is he really better? Over the past weeks, as we've been diving through this book, this sermon, really, the book of Hebrews, we see that the author, he wants us to hold on to this one truth. Even in the darkness the dankness, the isolation of our loneliness. He wants us to remember that Jesus is better 
He starts off at the very beginning of his sermon that Jesus reveals a better way than all that have spoken before, all that have spoken after of what God is doing in a broken world to bring to redemption. He's, he's talked about Jesus being sovereign over angels, and yet he became human. He died to defeat death and now invites us into his rest, something our hearts, our souls long so deeply for, our bodies need. And in a world where we all just want to be understood, just get me. We find in our passage this groundbreaking reality that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. I mean, this isn't meant to be like a warm and fuzzy moment, you know, where we get to cuddle together apart from the gospel. This is critical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is at its core. For Christians, Jesus is God. And if God became human, if he became earthy, if he became touchable, the the God who created the universe, who created material and matter, and then he died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the heavenly Father, still earthy, still touchable, this changes everything. Everything we once thought about God changes in Jesus. And this is what the author doesn't want us to miss. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see that because of Jesus, only our God knows exactly how you feel. Only our God knows. And maybe even better yet, only our God can be known. Only our God knows exactly how you feel. And therefore, only our God can be known. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some for free. You know, we love to give free stuff away. I mean, you get a gift if you're a guest. You get Bibles if you don't got any. We've got some on the flip tables there, on the flip side of the uh, dividers there. Um, and if you, if you look in the back of your Bible and just go forward a couple books, you'll find Hebrews. And we're in Hebrews chapter 4. It's here in this passage that, that we find how only our God knows exactly what you're feeling, what we're feeling. And our, our, our author begins today in verse 14 by saying, read along with me, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, the author, he highlights something that's strange to modern ears, quite frankly, that Jesus' high priestly role is critical to encouraging our faith together. Since then, we have a great high priest. Because of this, Jesus, the Son of God. So what's the big deal? Well, in ancient Israel, um, God established the Levitical priest to be a chosen representative of the people before God, okay? The priest knew people were weak because he was weak. He knew the pains of the people because he was experiencing the pains of the people. And so when the nation or his community or individuals sinned, when they disobeyed God, when they entered into brokenness in their relationships or between God, he related. And as a part of the people, he would offer sacrifices first for himself, but also for the others, for his community, for those who are following after the Lord. 
He was pleading for mercy and grace to be shown because he knows he needs it just as desperate as anyone else. If you go one step further, the high priest, he's this chosen guy who each year would enter before God's presence in the most holy place of the temple. There were these different regions in the way that the temple was designed. And the further you got to the center, the more concentrated was God's presence. The most holy of places, the holy of holies. And this high priest, once a year, he would go into the holy of holies and he would offer a sacrifice for the most heinous sins of the whole nation. It was on this day, Yom Kippur, as we call it today, or the Day of Atonement as it's translated into English, that this one man would represent the whole nation in his offering of sacrifice. I mean, this is what the author of Hebrews is highlighting here in chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is what he's talking about. And what's so groundbreaking here is that our new and our better high priest is no mere man. He's fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ. He didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father to look down his nose at the rest of the world, but to intercede for us, for his people. So it's not a God who's ready, looking down, ready to smite us. It's a God who's longing to intercede for us. So I want to ask us, where are you weakest? Where have you felt the brick wall of your human limitations? You know, when I hold my newborn daughter, man, it's one of the scariest feelings in the world. <laughs> she's so beautiful and she's crying and I want to I have all the right answers to her very difficult questions already at six weeks, you know. Um, I don't know why you're crying. Communicate. Um, and I so desperately want to model the gospel, the good news of what God has done in his world through Jesus perfectly. I want to be strong, but I know I'm weak, you know. I know that I'm going to fail her in major ways. I know I'm going to fail her in small ways and even in mundane daily ways, which is so scary to think about when you're holding this little one that you have such a huge stewardship and responsibility to care for. And I know that I'm going to fail her in all these ways because I'm limited. I'm finite. I can't read her mind. I can try. I read her nonverbals, you know. Um, but I can't read her mind. And here's the thing. Only our God knows. Only our God knows our unending weakness because of Jesus. He gets it. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. The author notes that God in Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. How beautiful is that? I mean, the word sympathize here means to share the experience of another. Jesus resonates with our finiteness is a way of saying our limitedness kids when you feel frustrated in that math problem or you're wrestling through your reading because you wish you knew that word but you don't know it yet so you have to learn it and walk through it and it's frustrating and it's hard work jesus relates with you he understands he's been there he submitted the exercise of his all-knowingness his all-powerfulness his all-presenceness to the heavenly father and though he never sinned, he learned. It's, it's mind-boggling when we think of the mystery of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Imagine Jesus learning to talk. He didn't just kind of pop out and go, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> you 
No, he cried like a baby. He learned syllables like a human. He was crawling on the dirt floor of his home with Mary and Joseph and then learned conflict resolution with his siblings. He lived in a human body with all of its limitations. And he knows how to relate to us as a high priest. I like the way one commentator put it. I think this is a beautiful picture. He says, His instrument, speaking of Jesus, so to speak, was the same as ours. It is a fact that if you have two pianos in the same room and a note is struck on one, the same note will gently respond on the other, though though not touched by another's hand. This is called sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance. The most sensitive man who ever lived feels with us. Whatever we may be going through, there is not a note we can play, not a melody or a dirge, no minor key, no discordant note that does not evoke a sympathetic resonance in Jesus. He mastered the instrument while he was here on earth, and he wears it in heaven. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that change the way we come to him? I just like, I was reading that and I just sat there and was like crying for maybe 45 seconds because I don't cry that much. But no, I mean, I was sitting there (laughs) crying and I want you to think about your weaknesses. Those moments you felt stupid, those, those times you feel so insecure. Make a list of your fears and inadequacies and, and know that God gets it. What happens when you're talking with someone who's been what you've been through? You listen differently, don't you? You talk differently. You expect them to kind of understand. You know, for example, when we lost our first child in childbirth, I remember soon afterwards others who had experienced that traumatic experience. They called us up asking for prayer, asking for encouragement, asking for words of wisdom. Why? Why me and Allie other, apart from others? Because they thought we got it. We had this shared experience. So they listened differently. They talked differently. They sought us out in their pain. Well, in all your weaknesses, they strike a chord with Jesus. He's not just up there surprised that we're wrestling. That's why I love chapter 5, verse 2 here in Hebrews where the author says he can deal gently. This isn't apathy where he just brushes it off. It isn't anger where he's coming ready to pound you down. Gently, he's interceding with the ignorant, that's many times us, and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Imagine that. You're not alone. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. So why would we turn anywhere else other than God in Christ? Can we talk with Jesus about your weaknesses, what you're wrestling through, your frustrations? He's there to listen. And yet so often that's an afterthought. So, af- so often. Have you, have you been praying about this? Have you been talking to God about this, which is what we do in prayer, submitting this to him? Oh, I probably should. I probably should. When no one knows exactly how you feel more than Jesus. No one. It's through God becoming man and Jesus, dying on the cross and rising from the dead on the third day, that only God knows intimately our unending 
weakness. And yet if we go one step further, there's probably no place we are weaker than in our constant temptation, right? Ah, The burning voice of temptation. Even here, Jesus, as the author of Hebrews says, is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Every respect, yet without sin. And this is where we have the tendency to say, come on, Jesus doesn't know exactly how I feel. He doesn't know what it feels like to fall into sin. He had it a lot easier. I mean, he was God, right? And we say this because, quite frankly, we don't understand sin. And we don't understand the incarnation. We don't understand that God became human. He became human. And the thoughtful writing of C.S. Lewis gives us a helpful insight as to why Jesus actually had it tougher than any one of us in here. He had it harder than any one of us in here. This is what he writes. A silly idea, this was a challenge to me, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us, that sin nature that the Bible consistently talks about, until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. Wow. Now to be clear, I mean, this doesn't mean that Jesus experienced every kind of, or every single temptation you do. He didn't experience the exact temptations of the elderly, the married, or women, and he didn't experience the temptations that come after having already sinned because he was sinless. But he did experience every categorical, every categorical temptation out there and then some. You know, in the record of Jesus um, from Luke, we find this story of the Holy Spirit taking Jesus and bringing him in the wilderness for 40 days. No food, just the devil in a showdown. I mean, <laughs> think about that. God leads his son into spiritual battle, not into comfort, not out of ease, but into the very thick of it. The devil then went to town, kind of trying every angle of temptation on Jesus. And Jesus never gives in, but neither does the devil, actually. We see that after the 40-day rampage, the devil, we see in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, it says, the devil departed from him until an opportune time. Even after 40 days, Satan's like, I'm not done. I just got a better attack I'm going to plan. And one of the most torturous times of temptation for Jesus is right before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's pleading with his apostles. Stay awake. (laughs) Even Jesus doesn't want to be alone at this moment. He knows what's coming. Stay awake. 
can you imagine being so overwhelmed with what God has called you to do that you begin to sweat blood? I mean, I get shivers sometimes, you know, I get scared, overwhelmed. But I've never sweat blood. You knew you were about to experience the most excruciating way of death. And all the weight of the sin of the world, sin of which you've never felt before, and all the wrath of God for that sin was going to be upon you. Yeah, you'd be sweating blood too. So Jesus, clothed in human weakness, cries out to God the Father for another way, saying in Mark 14, Abba, Father. And I love that it says Abba there. Because it shows the weakness of Jesus. I mean, his human weakness. It's just like, Dad, ah, oh, Father, all things are possible for you. You can do a bunch of things, right? Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Utter submission and weakness. Longing for another way, but submission. And the author of Hebrews, he even comes back to this. It was read for us, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, talking about the resurrection three days later. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And when it's saying learned obedience, it's not meaning disobedience to obedience. It's not meaning imperfection to perfection. But his human experience was complete. Complete. Hear this, we don't have a God who can just imagine really well our struggles. Oh, I can imagine how that could be painful. No. We have a God who knows our struggles. We have a God who feels and felt the tug of sin. Sure, he was absolutely perfect and it looked different for Jesus in some regards. And so he knows it actually better than us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so kids, I mean, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to talk back to your parents when you're tired, when you're frustrated. But Jesus also knows in his perfection how to push through and to be obedient to your parents, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to. Men, Jesus understands the temptation to look too long at a beautiful woman. Friends, Jesus knows the temptation to want to be thought well of. He knows the desire to be accepted, to be loved, to be remembered, to be the object of power. I mean, he's standing on the pinnacle and Satan says, all of this can be yours if you just bow to me. No cross, no death, no battle. All this power can be yours if you just take it and bow And instead, he does not. The object of power, for some of us, that's deep and within us. Maybe we don't wrestle with sex. Maybe we don't wrestle with greed. Maybe we don't wrestle with contention and dissension and gossip. But power, we love to be right. We love to be the one in control. And when we're not, envy, bitterness deep within us, hidden from the, the gaze of most around us, builds and builds and slowly destroys our souls. Well, you're not alone. Jesus knows 
exactly how you feel. And get this, Jesus' perfect obedience to the cross has made him the perfect high priest. He came near to take us by the hand and draw us near, to invite us to know God. He doesn't have to sacrifice for his own sins, but he lays down his life for the sins of the world, for all those who submit to him as Lord and Savior of their lives. He not only resonates with our constant temptation, but was victorious over sin. No other religion can claim this. No other religion, no other belief structure presents the ultimate being of the universe becoming a created human being and fully knowing experientially how you feel. No other belief structure. God knows your hurts, your pains, your weaknesses. And this morning, if you're you're just learning about Jesus, you may not believe this is true. But you have to admit you want it to be true, right? The creator of the universe knows you like that and cares about you that much. You got to at least want that to be true if you're honest with yourself. Christianity is either the biggest hoax in history or it's the greatest news in the world. There's no in-between. It's not just a really nice message. So because of Jesus, only our God knows. But secondly, only our God can be known. If he's entered into the world and revealed himself most beautifully in Jesus as our high priest, he's now ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he's seated in the Holy of Holies, the real Holy of Holies, of which the Holy of Holies on the earth was just an imitation of what is represented in heaven. And he's torn the curtain open so we can actually come to know God through Christ. Christians are not lonely agnostics, okay? We're not agnostics, but we learn from our God who has revealed himself and longs to be known. Hear the call of verse 16. Let us then with confidence, right? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hmm. Go to him, friends. Go to him while the time is able. We don't have a God who can't sympathize with our weakness or resonate with our temptation. Unlike the deist God, who's isolated from his creation, has wound up the divine clock and stepped back. Unlike Allah, who is unapproachable, who's one who shakes in fear. You've heard the stories of conversion of our brothers and sisters who cannot approach Allah as Father, but in Christ, we now have a God who calls himself Father and Jesus who is our brother and he relates with our weakness and cares for us. Our God in Christ He's approachable. That's language unheard of, of God anywhere else. I mean, look at his throne, how it's described. It's, it's his throne. Is it a throne of power? A throne of manipulation? A, a throne of domination? A throne of intimidation or punishment? Not here. It's a throne of grace. Just sit in in grace, sitting at the kitchen table with French press coffee, with him all Saturday morning, throne of grace, approachable. 
He longs for us to draw near, not to push away. And through Jesus, our great high priest, we can approach the throne of grace located in the most holy of places at any moment it's available. I mean, do you realize the gravity of what's happening when you're praying? Where your words are going? Where God is? Who is listening? The very fact that he longs to listen? I remember the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of those most amazing scenes where Isaiah as a prophet in the Old Testament, he steps into the throne room of God and he sees these angelic beings surrounding God on the throne and they're scream- or singing, shouting very loudly. I mean, to the point that it's rumbling the very temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah crumbles because of the magnificence of who God is. And he realizes how he has contributed to the destruction of the world through his own sin. He's a a person of unclean lips, is the words he says, with a people of unclean lips. And he must be cleansed. And then finally he can stand in confidence before God. When God calls him, whom shall we send to this broken people? Here am I. Send me. Well, now through Jesus, we step into that same throne room not shaky, yes in awe, but before a throne of grace, of a God who is approachable. And the more we learn of this knowable God, we find that he is welcoming. He's not just approachable, he's welcoming. Not only do we hear that we now may approach him, but we hear him call out a welcome to come with confidence. This this confidence... This isn't disrespect by any means or even arrogance like we've got our act all together when we come before God telling him he better listen to what I have to say. But it carries the idea of bold frankness. We can be bold without being cocky. We can be straightforward without being arrogant. It's an old-fashioned word. It's called honesty. Um, No twisting the truth, no hiding the pain, no justifying our behavior. We know we are sinners in need of God's grace. That's why we come to his throne of grace. And too often when we pray and tell God, I'm struggling you know, with this right now, we often picture him with his arms crossed, looking down, maybe with a big white beard because heaven he aged, you know, I don't know. And we picture Jesus frowning, arms crossed, shaking his, heads and his head in disbelief, saying, how could you? Are you really that stupid? When in reality, because of the gospel, Jesus is welcoming you you with, I've been there. I've been there. Not I've been there in committing sin, but I've been there in feeling the lure of temptation or the limiting factors of being human. I know it's hard. And so he comes and he stands before a throne of grace, ready to embrace. This is sympathy. This is understanding our temptation. This is what only our God can do as we approach his welcoming arms of grace because of Jesus. And as we come to experience him more, know him more, see him more, and who he is, we discover he is generous. He's approachable, he's welcoming, but he's generous. And we come to expect great things from God because he has great things to give. We collect stories of answered prayer, God speaking through his word, 
Or he's speaking through his church community in alignment with his word. His throne of grace becomes a trusted place for dispensing grace and mercy. I love this. He extends grace to help in our time of need. Help. H-E-L-P. You know? I mean, it's such a simple but beautiful word. A prayer in a word. A breath. Help. We feel so alone, so isolated, that we call for others to come for our rescue, gasping, help. We have to be willing to admit we need it, help. We, we have to be willing to ask for it, help. We, we have to pray for it, expect it from him, help. And look, it's, it's, it's help when we, just when we need it. You see that phrase? Not when you think you need it. You're not smarter than God, although many times we think we should be or that we are because God didn't follow our predetermined positive outcomes. But help when God knows you need it, which may be years later. That's scary. This isn't Twitter speed. This isn't Google Fiber, you know. Years later, potentially. And the thousands of times that God has helped us that we haven't even noticed. Asking from help, for help from a powerless help, helper is worthless because they can't do anything. Asking for help from an ignorant helper can actually make matters worse because in their help, they can breed destruction and dependency. But Jesus knows exactly how you feel, has the power to, to defeat death as he's shown in his resurrection, ascended to the right hand of God the Father to intercede for you only Our God knows, only our God is able, and only our God can be known. So if you feel alone, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to feel alone. You have to be willing to trust Him, though. And that's that's hard. I, I recently heard, or read a story, rather, about a Navy SEAL who was performing a covert operation, freeing hostages from a building in some dark part of the world. His friend's team flew in by helicopter, made their way to the compound, and stormed into the room where the hostages had been imprisoned for months. I mean, the room was dark. It was filthy. The hostages were curled up in a corner, just absolutely terrified. And when the seals entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages. I mean, they stood at the door and they called out the prisoners. This is fascinating. Telling them they were Americans. The SEALs asked the hostages to follow them, but the hostages, they just wouldn't move. They sat there on the floor and hid their eyes in fear. They, They were not of healthy mind and didn't believe their rescuers were really Americans. How many times their abusers had tricked them and therefore conditioned them to fear anybody who comes into the doors. So the SEALs stood there, not knowing really what to do, And they couldn't possibly carry everybody out. One of the seals, though, he got an idea. And so he put down his weapon, took off his helmet, and curled up tightly next to the other hostages. Imagine how crazy this would have been at that time. Getting so close, his body was touching some of theirs. He softened the look of his face and put his arm around a few of them. He was trying to show them he was one of them. And none of the prison guards would have done this, okay? He stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him, finally meeting his eyes. The Navy SEAL whispered, didn't shout, 
whispered subtly, gently, that they were Americans and were there to rescue them. Will you follow us? He said. The hero then, he stood to his feet and one of the hostages did the same, then another, then another, until the whole group was able to get away safely on an American aircraft carrier. That story's from Blue Like Jazz, actually. Um, And it's a brilliant story that depicts actually what our God has done. God saw his good world held in hostage to its own sin and its own brokenness and the ploys of Satan, the one who opposes God's good purposes, and how it had isolated itself from him and from one another. And so God sent his son Jesus to rescue his broken world. Jesus was born of a woman like all of us in here. He wrestled through temptation and weakness like all of us in here, but unlike any of us in here, never gave in to sin. Perfect. Blameless. So much so that only our God, because of this, can know how we feel exactly on the tee. He then went to the cross completely alone so that we will never have to be completely alone ever again if we whisper, help, help, and trust him and his life, his death, and his resurrection to guide our life, our death, and be our hope for resurrection. For only our God knows because Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And therefore, only our God can be known. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. (laughs) Before your throne of grace, in awe that you really get us. Even as we pray, you know us so well, you know the words that are going to flow out of our mouths. You, you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Even though you know us better than we know ourselves, you know the worst parts of us and you still died for us. And your throne of grace is open and willing to all who would rest and submit to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Lord, may we do that more moment by moment. May we trust you. When difficult things come into our lives, may we not think we have to go looking for the answers all these other places, but may we first go to you because you understand. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We hear this. And it just feels so untouchable, so unreal. But that it is real, it changes everything. May you change us to be more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.